I'm Carlin Gay, and I believe that Brett Brown is the reason Ben Simmons has not hit his potential yet. I'm Micah Adams, and James Harden is the new Wilt Chamberlain. I'm Scott Rafferty, and I'm starting to think that Devontae Graham should make the All-Star team. Welcome into NBA Sound System, Carlin Gay, Mike Adams, and Scott Rafferty. A big show for you guys today. As you've heard off the top, we're going to talk a myriad of things. All-star conversation a little bit later on. Uh, debate between two players that were picked in the 2016 NBA draft. We'll talk about the Toronto Raptors. They've been good. They've been kind of pedestrian in some other parts. But let's start off the top with one of the guys that have uh, been overlooked this season. And I, well, you we're, go ahead. We're go not ahead. we're not overlooking him anymore because we're starting with him. Unlike we're not finding a way to talk about Luka Doncic or LeBron James or Giannis or the Raptors or whoever. We're going to talk about James Harden. The most disrespected, underappreciated superstar, not of this generation, of the one before that, the one before that. He's the most underappreciated star in a half a century. Wow. This podcast is just going to be Micah getting really mad for 40 minutes about James Harden. Well, I'm not, I'm not actually mad at that because James Harden is one of the most underappreciated stars in the NBA. Micah's been talking about that off the seat, you know, off mic for. The last 48 hours, really, he's been beating this drum. Where do you sit on it, Scott? Is James Harden overlooked? He's definitely overlooked. I mean, I think the the fact that he averaged 42 points and 8 assists in a, in a week that the Rockets went 2-1 and one and he didn't win Player of the Week, um, Carmelo Anthony did instead, is, is kind of a testament to that. Um, the thing how, is, how about November when he averaged 39.5 and, and was not the Player of look, the Month? I was you, hoping you'd get to that. You, you said you didn't want to bring up Luka. Um, cause I, I will defend Luca in this situation cause I wasn't mad at him getting that. So we should probably just stick to Harden right no, now. No, no, no. Let's bring up Luca because Luca seems to kind of take away some of the shine that Harden has brought to the table. Step back jumper is something that Luca Doncic is now known for. Just like Manu Ginobili kind of created the Euro step and everybody else followed when it really was, you know, a combination of different things. Luca Doncic is really getting credit for what, you know, this, the, the weapon that the step back jumper has become for so many NBA players. We really should be giving that credit to James Harden. I mean, Doncic hits that step back over LeBron to ice the game uh, in that emphatic win over the Lakers. Right. And, I, and all anyone's showing for the next 48 hours is Luka Doncic hitting, his, hitting a step back three. And people talk about it like, oh, watch, like Luka has this unguardable shot now. James Harden's hit three times as many of them. <laughs> We're the first week of December, and he's hit over 90 of them. That's it. Luka's at 33. James Harden has made more in the first week of December than Steph. Steph Curry hit 37 of them the entire year when he made 402 threes in, in the second of his MVP seasons. James Harden is just outrageous. He scores more than anyone else. We'll get to that in a minute. And and this the step back thing is I know he gets a lot of credit. There's been so many pieces well written on on publications all over the all over the webs uh, about James Harden's step backs. But it's like all of a sudden. Luka Doncic, the new kid on the block, starts doing it, and it's like, well, oh, forget about James Harden once again. I mean, that's completely not, overlooked. I mean, that's not why people are talking more about Luka than no. Harden. It's the fact that he averaged a thirty-point triple-double for an entire month. The Mavs have been perhaps the biggest surprise in the NBA this season. Um, they have a better record than the Rockets. Um, and, and even going back to that step back over LeBron, it wasn't just that he hit a step back over LeBron. It was that it iced the game 
in which you know Luca went nuts again and they beat a Lakers team in LA. That's um, fine. Which was another huge win. We do, we don't. This Luca's to, great. This is not. This I'm not to be a Luca. This is not like okay. a hit. This is not like a hit job of we're putting on on Luca here. Okay, let's get back to Harden for a second. Um, before the season, every single year, NBA.com, uh, John Schumann's asks the GMs around the league a bunch of questions and kind of polls and everything. Right. Um, this season. Uh, they voted James Harden as the player who forces the opposing coaches to make the most adjustments. He ran away with it, 48% of the votes. The next most was um, Steph Curry and LeBron with 17% each. Um, and, and I think that that game against the Raptors was a testament to that because the Raptors have been defending, I mean, you can speak to this more if you want, Micah, but the Raptors have been defending All-Stars better than any other team this season. Yeah, by far. And they've been doing it in a way that that their basic game plan is to just trap these players and forcible out of their hands and force other uh, guys. That, you're making them. it sound a little bit less complex than what it actually is. It's not that they're just trapping. It's where they're deciding to trap those players. So, so that's what I was getting to. The difference with Harden is like well, when they did it against Kawhi and, and you're uh, talking about the like, Raptors doing it against Kawhi. Yes. When they, when they broke out this defense against Kawhi, for example, they, they didn't double him as soon as he crossed half court. It was mainly when he was involved in like a pick and roll or when he caught the ball around the three point line and started making a move to the basket. Harden, they literally double-teamed him at half-court. Um, and it's because he's such a threat from three with that step back. He needs no space. He can shoot from distance. He can do all those kind of things. And it just it, it, it forces teams to use these game plans that you literally just don't see any other team do. No, I agree. I mean, he, they, uh, he, came, into, he came into that game against Toronto averaging 49 passes a game. Passed the ball 77 times. He shot 38 times uh, the game before that. He only took 11 shots. Um, but, you know, I, I don't want to make this about Toronto's defense. I mean, the, Toronto's defense deserves all the credit in the world. Uh, you know, you mentioned the All-Stars. Toronto is holding opposing All-Stars this season to f- about 14 points a game on 34% shooting. By far the fewest, uh, you know, points that any team is holding All-Stars from last season. And it's worth mentioning, that's against guys like Kawhi, yeah, Damian I mean, Lillard, LeBron James. Like, this season, isn't, right. this isn't even like a D'Angelo Russell. Right. No but, disrespect but that, to That's him, a different conversation. That's a different, a different conversation. I want to say that the, to, to bring up Toronto's defense, what it did show is that James Harden is more than just a scorer. Last night he was, yeah. or, or Thursday night rather, he was a facilitator. And really, and it wasn't just the assist. Yeah, I mean, he had, what, six had, assists in a game? There was a lot of hockey assists, and that's due to his kind of gravity on the court, and we don't appreciate that. I mean, P.J. Tucker's back in the league and thriving because of James Harden. You know, uh, guys like Clint Capella doesn't sign the contract he signs if James Harden isn't his point guard. Ben McLemore and Daniel House are out there just, like, <laughs> raining stuff, and it's all because James – like, one of the other things that we don't give credit uh, to James Harden near enough for is his patience. Like, right. people talk about his his body control, and he's this amazing uh, isolation scorer. I think he's gotten he's gotten credit for his passing, uh, but he's – he's, He's so patient. You you never see James Harden get sped up uh, by anybody, and, right. and that's you know they win that game because he's he's seeing things before they happening. He's not freaking out. I mean, he's an NBA player. NBA players, you know, do, there's a reason that you don't see junk de- defenses being played in the NBA. It's because they're they're too good. Um, but you know, I you know we started at the at the very top when we're introing this this whole thing. I mentioned that James Harden is the new Wilt Chamberlain. Mm-hmm. But and, why? Here's here's why because I feel like you know anytime you talk about Wilt Chamberlain and all you know you you ha- you it's like you can't even like recognize what Wilt used to do. I mean, he averaged over 50 points a game in a season. 
you know, he has it. It he's a he's a vid, he's literally a video game, and people are like, oh, the area he played in, you know, he's being guarded by a bunch of you know five ten plumbers and you know whatever, and so it's like his outrageous production gets just cast aside as a product of the era in which he played. Well, here's the thing: nobody else was doing it. It's just Will, right? Right. Right. So, and then you look at James Harden and in today's league. And people make it not excuses, but they they try to ration, uh, they try to uh, reason out that why James Harden is doing this is because the game's pace is way up. You know, people are shooting more threes than ever. The way he's officiated, whatever, and it, it kind of gets discredited. Well, if it, if the era was the reason that James Harden was doing this, other people would be doing it. This is the second straight year he's averaging over eight more points per game than anyone else. Over the previous 40 years, that only happened one time ever, and it was Michael Jordan before he had Scottie Pippen. That's incredible. It's incredible. He's done in two straight years what only the greatest player in NBA history has ever done. Arguably. Arguably. Whatever. That's another separate conversation. But (laughs) it's just... I, I people are just so quick to cast aside James Harden's individual brilliance and eye popping numbers as, as a byproduct of Houston's system, the era in which we play, rather than just recognizing it for what he is. James Harden is the single most unique player in the NBA uh, since Will Chamberlain. Yeah, he, he absolutely. I mean, for for people that don't know what Wilt did, you can go to his basketball reference page and you'll see highlighted. Normally, when you lead the league in something, it's highlighted or bolded in black. When you look at the stats page, the entire, pretty much the entire stats page on Wilt Chamberlain's basketball reference page is bolded in some way, shape, or form. He was dominant, led the league in scoring his first six game, he, six years of the, his uh, career. He averaged forty eight and a half minutes per game. Yeah, in a season, there's only forty eight minutes in Insane. a game. Insane. Insane. And the only reason why he wasn't a good free throw shooter is because he didn't want to go to the underhand. He yeah. just refused to go to the underhand. And uh, the one year he did, he was he, he was pretty decent. So Will Chamberlain, James Harden in the same class. It took Will to win a championship for us to really appreciate what he was doing because he was a 13 time All Star. He was like I said, seven time scoring champion, 13 you know uh, sorry 11 time rebounding champion. But until he finally won that championship. I guess people really didn't give him the credit he deserved in terms of putting him on the top of the class. Well, know? and even when he when he won the first one in '67, uh, it was yeah. the year that Bill Russell was hurt. Right. So, you know? so what is it going to take for us to start appreciating James Harden? I, it's probably going to take him winning a title, which is you know, I, you is that outrageous? Poll. Is that fair? It is outrageous. So uh, let's let's. I want to point to a poll that ESPN ran mm-hmm. earlier this week. They they took a Tim Bontemps. Uh, pulled over 100 voters, and James Harden uh, was top two on less than a quarter of the ballots, and he was uh, easily fourth. Yeah, he was. He was right, yeah, he was behind far, behind with, with Giannis daylight. and LeBron and Luca, like easily the fourth. Guys averaging 39 and a half points a game. Yeah, it's insane. Or 39 now, I, b- I believe. But uh, regardless, it's just like, and I feel like you know, had they won the title two years ago, I feel like he's being punished. For regular season accolade, I mean, the MVP is a regular season award. Mm-hmm. And James Harden is, I, say what you want about the postseason failures, because that's fair. Like, uh, he has 
ran out of gas. He has, I wouldn't even necessarily say under-delivered, but he has not, certainly not risen to the occasion. Right. I think there's, that's the thing. He there's a difference, elevated right? elevated his game to another level in the playoffs. Right. He, he doesn't have his equivalent of LeBron going into Boston in the 2012 Eastern Conference Finals and just putting a team on his back. Like, James Harden has a couple of no-shows, but he also doesn't have that signature performance. But it's just, like, the fact that he can be doing what he's doing and less than... 25% of MVP voters only have don't even have him in the top two? It's, that's crazy to me. And, and, and I agree with you. I think that's more to do with his playoff failures than what he's doing on a regular basis. Uh, Scott, you, you are uh, you know, admittedly a Houston Rocket fan, and there's always that argument uh, you know, when you watch the Houston Rockets play, is James Harden's style boring or anything? Do you think that weighs on the conscience of people who are underestimating or underappreciating what he's actually doing on the basketball floor. Yeah, I, I do. I, I think generally people don't enjoy watching guys get to the free throw line. Um, we're probably taking his step back threes for granted because he's done it in, in ridiculous volume for three or four years now. Um, I, I also think going back to something you said, Micah, one of the interesting things about Harden is that he plays in D'Antoni's system. And I think the success that other players have had in his system, obviously not to this degree, but we've seen guys like, you know, Steve Nash, obviously, mm -hmm. he's the first one who kind of thrived in a way that ended in him winning two MVPs um, under Dan Tony. But even guys like Jeremy Lin, um, you know, a guy like Kendall Marshall even had his best, basically the best stretch of his NBA career playing for Mike D'Antoni. No so one I think, knows who Kendall Marshall is listening to No, they to don't, but I'm, right my now. point is that like... You're going in on <laughs> no, Kendall Marshall right now. No, talking look, about, no, I'm just saying... You're like Carlin's comparing Joe Ingles <laughs> to LeBron James earlier this week. Go I'm ahead. just saying, Mike D'Antoni's plays to the strengths of these kind of primary ball handlers, right? And I think that also plays into something as well, especially because he hasn't had the success in the playoffs um, and things like that. By the way, one quick note. We've seen this happen before. I mean, this was the com we basically could have the same conversation about Dirk prior to that championship in uh, 2011, right? Absolutely. Um, and how that even him just winning one championship well, basically one changed the entire narrative of his career. That is true. But the one thing that was fair about Dirk's criticism is that he was up to nothing in a finals with a team that was supposed to win. And they threw that away. Where James Harden's never been in that position. And he's never even got. I mean, he got to the finals, but it wasn't. Right. He wasn't the man on that team. He was just a part of the, you know, the entourage there. If he gets, if he gets Houston last year, like Micah said, if he gets Houston two years ago to the finals, they play Cleveland, and they're up two nothing, and Cleveland comes back, then you're looking. You're you're having the same kind of discussion with him and Dirk. At the same time, though, last year, what they were down. Uh, was it three? Was it three three to the Warriors? They lose Kevin Durant, and then they lose that game six in Houston. You know that's one of the games that people keep pointing to. And they were up like, two three, uh, three two. Sorry, they were up three two. Okay, either way, that that's one of those games that people point to being like that was Houston's opportunity to take advantage. That's a, that's a time when they need James Harden to step up, um, and he just didn't do it in a way that you know Houston obviously didn't make finals. They were up three two the year that Chris Paul went down. Is what I'm I meant talking to last say. year. And then last, last year. year they had the opportunity. To, you're right to close out, and they were down. Uh, no, it was, it was two two. It was two two, and they Durant were gets up hurt. big. Durant gets hurt late game. in the third quarter of yeah. Game Five, and then they they blow the fourth quarter, and then and then in Game Game Six they they could even the series. Right. Uh, Steph, Steph is scoreless in the first half. Right. They're up big, and then they, and then they blow up. But it's just one of those. Yeah, like Curry was great, Clay Thompson was great, but you know where's James Harden stepping up here? And like you, I get like you you can point, and Rockets fans will defend James Harden to death. They'll point, well, he's 
you know, average 33 game in mm-hmm. for the series or for the playoffs. It's not that James Harden was bad per se. I mean, he's been bad before. Like, like, like you said, like he when he gets benched in the and the, the comeback against the Clippers when Chris Paul was there, and then the, the famous no show against San Antonio when right. Kawhi didn't even play, and then Houston gets rolled. You know, there's been times when he has not when he's just no showed. But like I mentioned with like the LeBron game in Boston in 2012, like that's a game that up until that point, like. LeBron still had never had not won a title, but, right? And he took in and if they if if uh, that Heat team would have lost in Boston, same conversation that we're having right now about James Harden never rising to the occasion. And, and look, like ultimately, it's a compliment to James Harden to be held to that standard, mm-hmm. right? Like, but to, I think for I th- us to be killing James Harden for not doing that right. means that you are already in that echelon of, of player. But I think that's also two different conversations. I think it's fair to have the conversation about him being not able to rise to the occasion during the playoffs or when teams need him most, and a separate conversation, which is what we started having, which is he's doing things in the regular season on a nightly basis, and people are just kind of rolling their eyes and saying, well, he's, he hasn't done it in the playoffs. That's that's the I think that's, there's two separate conversations because when LeBron was going through that, it was only LeBron can't get to the next level. It wasn't that he wasn't great. It was that he can't get to the next level. And I think we're we're skipping the James Harden isn't great converse, p- part of it, and we're just going straight to he is never going to get to the next level. No, and, uh, look, James Harden just said back-to-back 50-point games, scored 60 last weekend, and, no one and Carmelo having 23-11 and 11 <laughs> was a bigger deal. Like, yeah. what do we yeah. What are we doing? That's it's I think so that's ridiculous. the issue. I think that's more the issue. I think it's fair to have that because a lot of people probably listening to this will be like, "Oh, what are you guys talking about? He hasn't done anything in the playoffs." It doesn't matter. That's a separate conversation. Yeah. We're talking about right now, today. The dude is balling, and we're kind of just glossing over it. Hopefully, we brought some attention to James Harden. Let's move on. The Raptors. Let's bring some attention to the Raptors because uh, this is a team that employed a, a, a really weird defense against the Houston Rockets. It failed for them. And they are a team that is very interesting. They lost Kawhi Leonard. Everybody expected them to kind of dip. Uh, They started off the season great. And they did a lot of their damage without Kyle Lowry and Serge Ibaka. If you had told all three of us at the beginning of the season that they were going to have the record that they have now with Kyle Lowry and Serge Ibaka missing double-digit games, I think we would have laughed at everybody. I, I think we could all agree on that. Pascal Siakam, I wasn't expecting him to take this sort of leap. I, th- I think he's played uh, beyond my expectations. He's an absolute all-star. Fred Van Vliet, same thing. I think he's an all-star, or at least in the conversation, and we'll talk about that a little later as well. But when push comes to shove, the Raptors have failed to rise to the occasion against the better teams in the NBA. They're doing what they should do. They're beating up on the lesser teams, but against teams above 500, they have a subpar 500 record right now, and... I know you guys are going to say they're in a lot of those games, but sometimes you have to have that switch, that championship switch, and we still haven't seen it against the better teams in the rest of the league. That's better. I also think that, for the most part, the losses that they have had against those teams, there's been you know another re- another layer to that that kind of explains it. Um, just to go through it really quickly, they should they they shouldn't have lost to that 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 Celtics game, um, but against the Clippers, they won the second night of a back to back, and I think that was the second game they were without Larry and Ibaka. Um, the Mavericks lost was on the the last last game of a five game road trip. Um, the Heat game they lost in overtime at home, but that was Lowry's first game back. And Lowry, Fred VanVleet, and Siakam played terribly. Um, and I even think Nick Nurse said after the game that he was shocked that they were still in it based on how poorly they played. Um, and obviously they lost to the Rockets 
most recently a game that Ben McLemore rolled people hit eight threes. Hey, I'm hearing a lot of. I want to say I don't want to call them excuses because no, I mean, what yeah. I'm say, what I'm hearing is a lot of fifty fifty sort of you're, you're sitting on you know if certain things go right it goes one way certain things go wrong goes the other way if they win those games we're giving them credit for showing up on the fourth night of a long road trip we're giving them credit of going into LA and beating both LA teams on a back to back you can't give them credit and then and not and overlook it when it doesn't happen the other way i think you have to go both ways and think when when people talk about what they did without Lowry and Abak in the lineup you have to also say okay well, they also lost those games against the better teams without – you can't give them credit for just having wins with Lowry and Ibaka out of the lineup and not give them any slack for losing without those guys in the lineup. No, that's fair. I'm just saying I'm, I'm not necessarily concerned about it because they're in those games against the best teams in the league, and I think that there's certain things that they can do or they can improve on to, to actually win those games, and I think that's encouraging. Um, they don't have a single no-show the entire year. You guys don't seem concerned. No, I'm not, not at all. That, we're over a quarter of the way through the year, and they, they've literally not laid an egg yet. Like they didn't play well down the stretch against Miami, but it's not like they. It's not like they haven't had that night where they just show up. They don't have it. They lose by eighteen or never in. Like the game against Houston right. was probably the first game of the year where like you kind of knew they weren't going to win, and even that that was like a four point game. I think I midway say, through the fourth quarter, the Bucks game early in the season, they were down huge in that game. Yes, they were. They, they had no, back, right? they had no business making that close. Um, but this team just fights every single night. They have gritty guys. Um, you know that they, they never back down, and and those are the kind of games that it shows because they they're always in it. They always they always have that that level that they can get to to make it competitive. Here's where I'm concerned. They won 58 games a season ago. 22 of them were against teams above 500. They were 22 and 20 against those teams, just scraping by, barely above 500. The one cause, the one cause for comfort in those situations a year ago was the fact that they had an ultimate killer on the roster in Kawhi Leonard. This year, they're three and six. They do not have the ultimate killer in Kawhi Leonard. I love Pascal Siakam. Like I said, he's an all-star. Love Kyle Lowry. I think Kyle Lowry could elevate to be uh, their go-to closer in certain situations. Neither of them are Kawhi Leonard. And that's where I have cause for concern. Because when you go up against the big dogs in the league, you need a guy that's going to have the ball in the last five minutes of the game and say, you know what? Get on my back. I'm carrying us to victory. And right now, we just haven't seen that out of the Toronto Raptors. And that was everyone's fear at the start of the season. And it's coming to fruition now. So it's now time. It's not time to push the panic button and say you go out and get someone. It's time to come to terms with the fact that Kawhi's no longer there. This is who they are. They're not going to have uh, a championship run because they can't get it done against the big dogs. But you don't think that this team has it in them to make a make a championship run? Uh, they I can't thought, reach the NBA Finals? I don't think they I, – I, I, there was a point where I thought to myself, you know what, I think they can – uh, but that's when they and when I look into it and I look at the teams that they're beating, they should beat the Suns. They should beat the you know they should beat sure. the those those unsub five hundred teams because they're a good team. But against the big dogs in the playoffs, almost every single game going through the playoff run that they went through was very close last year. It was yeah, <laughs> it, it, it was. and it took Kawhi Leonard to go to Super Saiyan level to get them past some of those series. I don't see anyone on that roster right now that's going to be able to do that. And I'm not judging them. Once you win a championship, you don't get judged on what you do in the regular season anymore. Now it's all about the bar set. 
a fail. It's a failure for them if they don't get to the championship. You're defending you think champions. It's a failure? What are you talking about? They just lost Kawhi Leonard and I'm Danny just saying, I'm not. I'm not saying that. It, I'm saying that once you win a championship, the expectation is there. It's no longer a fairy tale that you could win one. It's not the expectation for this team. No, no. This is this is literally. It no, should be though, Carlin. This is it. Should why? Be. No, if this if this is literally the first team in NBA history. Right. History. It's never happened before to win a title and then have their best player go play for a different team. They are in uncharted territory. There's Absolutely. not a single team that's ever dealt with this before. Absolutely. But and you're you, gonna sit here you and tell me disappointed. That if they, it's championship or bust? What are you talking about? You won't be disappointed in this team if they're if if you're I'm not just saying just the Raptors, this team specifically. I am saying once you win a championship. That that is the bar. There is no you don't bring it back down and say we're happy to be a part of the Western, the Eastern Conference Finals or Western Conference Finals. Once you win a championship, once you taste that champagne, that is where you are now as a franchise. See, if Kawhi returned to this team, I would agree with you. But the fact they lost, arguably, yeah. I mean, after that championship, right? We did something on NBA.com. We ranked the top thirty players in the NBA. He was number one on our list. Right. So the Raptors lost arguably the best player in the league, and then all of a sudden they're expected to make another championship I'm run. not walking back what I said. I, I, I mean when I say that the bar is set now at championship level. So it's a failure. If you're Masai, Masai Ujiri, you're looking at this and saying, every year I go out, the bar is set at cha- I don't think any team, and if you're, in the, if you're in the NBA right now, any of the 30 teams, and you look into this regular season, no matter what it is, what you have around you, and your expectation isn't to win a championship, then what are you doing? No, nah, you got to be realistic, though. Come on. There's not 30 teams in the league right now that think they I understand the that, but I'm saying the expectation is that. So if that is the expectation and you don't get there, how could you not look at it as a failure? Because that's not the expectation. That's you don't not think the Masai Ujiri expects to win? Not the, then not why the is he NBA playing title. games? Not the NBA title. Then why are we going through this? How many teams? So there should so we should have a four team league. We should just at the start we should we should go into the season, and if you're not one of the four or five best teams in the league, just everybody you know go to Cabo, simulate the season, and let's you just don't, start with the. You don't think finals. that they're going to be disappointed without coming home with the ring? No, they won't be. I, I, they, that's, that's where I disagree. Completely unrealistic. I think if you're in that's pro sports, unrealistic it's not unrealistic. I think if you're in pro sports, you're the Buffalo Bills fan. Yeah, it is. You don't go the into the Super Bowl. You don't go in thinking you're going to win the Super Bowl. At every the beginning year. of the season, the expectation is to win the Super Bowl. Every sports fan thinks that. Oh, every on. sports franchise, yeah. if that's what you're not, if you're not working towards that, what are you doing? You're not working towards the Raptors There's are a, not. I understand that they're not a championship caliber team. I'm not telling you that they're going to win a championship. I am saying that they should be working towards that, and that should be the goal at the end of the season. That is the expectation. I mean, of course, every team in the league wants to win a championship. Right. That's, That's all for. I'm saying. It's not what you were saying, though. No, but wh- one it team should be, and if you don't get there, you should be disappointed. I, I think this team, if this team loses in the first round, that would be a huge disappointment. Yes. If they lose so handedly in the second round. four more games in the second round, if, that's, that's not seen as a disappointment. Anytime you don't win a championship, you should be looked at, it should be looked at as a disappointment. I mean, you, I, should, you should be prepared to live a life full of a lot of disappointment then. That's sports. I don't know. That's, that's a pretty sports. pessimistic view of sports then. That's part of being a sports fan. That's why the celebration for a championship is so grand because it doesn't happen every day. No, so you, but but I think, but once you win it and taste it, and then expecting more of the same, I think diminishes it diminishes how long it took to win that one in the first place. Like the 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 amount of blood, sweat, and tears and patience that this franchise went to to get to the point right. where they did it, and then expecting them, okay, now go do it again. Like, but that's what that, your expectation should be. If you if you've already done it once. You're putting your. You, that means that you've, you're capable of doing it. However, you get there is however you get there. 
Okay, we, we can agree to disagree. That's fine. I'm going to bring it back to something you said before. All that. Go ahead. Um, I, I do agree with you that the, the, the biggest thing for the Raptors moving forward or something that I want to, I want to see this season is someone who can re- consistently step up for them in those games. Um, and, and the thing, that should be Pascal Siakam, right? Right. Um, and four out of the six losses they've had, I believe, um, he's had some of the worst games of the season. He's kind of struggled against, granted, some of these players are the best defensive players in the league when we talk about Giannis Antetokounmpo and Anthony Davis. But he's also struggled against guys like Maxi Kleber um, and Bam Adebayo in that heat loss. And all these guys are kind of similar. They're big power forwards who can play him closer than Joel Embiid and Brooke Lopez could in the playoffs who gave him trouble last year, but also have the foot speed to kind of keep him out of the paint. And until he has an answer against those types of defenders, again, some of those defenders are the best defenders in the league. A lot of players struggle against them. But until Siakam can kind of consistently beat those players or get an advantage of them, I do think there is kind of a ceiling on this Raptors I, team. I do think, though, that this Raptors team could, in the way that, like, you looked at the 4 Pistons that won the title, right? right? Like, that wasn't a team that had a, like, killer. Like, they didn't have, like, their, like, 2019 Kawhi, right? Right. Is is sort of they had four different options that can kind of take over, right? So I I think yeah, Siakam is is not he's probably not ever going to be that type of guy. Like he's an all star, he's going to start the all star game. We'll get to that here in a little bit, but I I don't think he's ever going to be Kevin Durant, Kawhi Leonard, LeBron James, James sure. Harden, right? But you know how many teams have. Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Fleet as well. Two guys who have now done it on the biggest stage. Mm-hmm. Like there's not that many teams that have that many capable players. And even someone like OG Ananobi, who is shooting 50% from both corners. Like he's like, if, if he cannot be left wide open. I, I don't know. I, I think that they can kind of take a, a an old four Pistons approach. Cause that's a team too, that like you look at that team and wouldn't have thought like, yeah, I don't know. They, they don't have, have the horses either. Yeah, they and didn't have a killer. They figured it out, and they did it with with great defense. They did it with balance. They did it with smart coaching, and like they they came out of uh, the the perceived weaker conference. I don't know. I, I I think it's way too soon, and it's I think it's too easy to discount this team coming off winning the title last year. They, they've been there. Um, you know, they they inched by last year. Like I mean, if if you replay. Uh, the series against Philly mm-hmm. and against Milwaukee 10 times, like, I don't know, do they reach the finals three times and then they get there and they get lucky that the Warriors are, are hurt and banged up? Like, there's a lot that went into Toronto winning it last year. I, I mean, there's a fairness like to them, every, yeah, I was going to say, so, yeah. I, I would say that for, you know, every team kind of has some some sort of fairness. I, I it, it, But I'm still, I, I'm concerned about this team because, like I said, a year ago, they had Kawhi Leonard, and you can go in the regular season. You go twenty-two and twenty against teams about you know over five hundred. And I'm not going to discount what they're doing. They're they're pummeling the teams that are bad. Like they're pummeling the sub five hundred teams. That's what good yeah, teams and do. And last year, they were thirty-six and four against those teams. They were absolutely crushing those teams. So that's where the wins are going to rack up. The thing is, is that when it comes down to it, though, in the playoffs, you're no longer playing those sub-500 teams. You're playing all teams that are going to be above 500. And if you are 500 yourself in the playoff and you don't have that killer, it's going to be tough. It wouldn't shock me if they don't make it to the second round, depending on the matchup they have in the first round, because they don't have that guaranteed killer that's that's just out there. I mean, everyone remembers the, the shot that Kawhi hit in Game 7 over Philly, but... 
correct me if I'm wrong, he it was game four, I think it was. Yeah, Raptors yeah. down two the one. Step back over. He hits that yeah. huge step back three over Joel Embiid. And I agree with you. Like th- there are teams in the past who kind of get it done by committee. I just think, especially in today's NBA, like you you do kind of. I agree with you, Colin. Like I think you do need someone who can you can give the ball to, you can clear the floor, or you can just run a simple pick and roll. And you're even if they're not going to make that shot every time, you're guaranteed that they're going to get a shot they want every single yeah, time. Yeah, it's the exception, not the rule. Like that Pistons team is there's a, yeah. there's a reason why. You everyone points to the one team. Mm-hmm. It's because there's one. Like, but but the thing is with that Pistons team is that they did have a, a closer. I just don't think that the Raptors and, and it's it should be Pascal Siakam. I just haven't seen him become the closer yet. Like like Lowry's Tra- not Billups. Chauncey Billups, his nickname is Mister Big Shot for a reason. He was he was key in knocking down big shots. He may not he could have gone through games where he had five points, but in the last two minutes. He's stepping up and he's knocking down the big shot. I'm not saying that Kyle Lowry can't be that guy, but for the Raptors to reach their ceiling this season, it has to be Pascal Siakam. This is a different conversation for a different podcast. Go that for is it. that is the worst, most undeserved nickname maybe I've ever. <laughs> but I that was his name. I knew that was that's his that's name. A, that's a, that's a that's a 45 minute. That's conversation his name. His, his, Kyle Lowry perception is reality. Kyle sometimes. Lowry is every bit. Uh, Chauncey Billups. He's clutch. For that role. No, no absolutely. Like, He's clutch. We saw it in the finals. Yeah. I'm not taking that away from Kyle Lowry, but I'm so saying if the, Raptors, if the Raptors ceiling is, you know, getting back to the fight, we'll just say getting back to the finals, I say championship, it, that's your ceiling. I think Pascal Siakam has to be the best closer on the team. It can't be Kyle Lowry. I, I think Kyle Lowry can close certain situations, but out of this, in a seven-game series, if Kyle Lowry is asked to be the closer for four of your wins, I don't think you can – I don't think you could be the uh, – you know the the victor in those series. Uh, we spend a lot t- too much time on that. We'll, we'll skip. We'll skip through uh, and and go to see. We'll talk about Siakam, but I want to make this more about Ben Simmons. We had a, we had a, a, a debate about Pascal Siakam versus Ben Simmons. Both of them were drafted in the same draft. Ben Simmons, of course, went number one overall. Pascal Siakam, twenty seventh overall. I'll skip to the meat of the potatoes of this because we both, all of us, actually will agree that we'll take Pascal Siakam over Ben Simmons today. today. What would make you want to take Ben Simmons? Next year or the year after, can he get better? Well, yeah, he's he worse today than he was as a rookie. And but is that it's his not fault? just last year? He's worse today. He's a he's a better defender, right? He's he's one of the probably top define 10 worse defenders. Exactly. Define I, I don't know worse. If you can say he's worse as a, than he was he's, as a rookie. Season. What's he gotten better at? I mean, is there anything he's gotten better at? You just said a defense. Uh, on the, okay, defense very important, right? It's very important. Mm-hmm. Okay, you could be a great defensive player and not sniff an All Star team. Right, we're, we're we're talking about Ben Simmons as one day potentially competing for MVP but, awards. Uh, what what's he gotten better at? When you say worse, I don't think he's regressed as a passer. I don't think he's regressed as a ball handler. I don't think he's regressed as. I, I think that he's not being put in situations for him to thrive. The best Ben Simmons we've seen in his entire career was at the end of the his second season when Joel Embiid is out. They had a ton of shooters on that team. And they went on a stretch where they won close to, I think, 16 straight uh, to close the year. And they started off, they played the Miami Heat in the playoffs, and they were up 2 1 before MB came back and they ended up closing out that series. That was the best Ben Simmons we've seen. And it was due to circumstance. We have not seen him be put back in those certain circumstances since that time. We, we saw the peak or what the potential peak of what he could be. And then since then, that's, they've gone away from that as an organization. I, I don't think that's his fault. No, I, no, it's not. And you, 
we're not going to see Ben Simmons be the best version of Ben Simmons as long as he's playing next to Joel Embiid. So do you need they need to be right? traded? Uh, one of them, probably, eventually, for him to reach his ceiling. Now, that's for him individually to reach his ceiling. Now, maybe there's a scenario where they never trade him. Mm-hmm. He never reaches a ceiling, but they're an amazing team, and they go on to win titles, and, and that's fine. Um, but... You know, I also am of the opinion that the the truly, the truly great players, and Ben Simmons has all the potential and talent in the world to be a truly great player. Mm -hmm. The very, very best can play with anyone. Now, maybe something won't be optimized and maybe it won't be a perfect fit, but talent, star talent wins out and it should win out regardless of who you're playing next to. The fact that you have to completely tailor everything around Ben Simmons to get the best out of him or to get even remotely close to the best out of him, I think speaks volumes about his limitations. I agree. I mean, he's a flawed player. I, I think that's fair to say, right? And something you two are probably sick and tired of me hearing about to this point, I keep bringing up the fact that like, like what, what would Ben Simmons look like if he was in Dallas instead of Luka? If he's surrounded by shooters basically at every position, he has far more space to play in. Um, I, I think he'd be, I think we'd see clear signs of improvement from his rookie season until now. Um, in saying that, like every player in the league has like teams have built around them to play, accentuate their strengths, right? We see it in Houston with James Harden. We see it in Milwaukee with Giannis. Like if you put, if you switch Giannis for Ben Simmons, I'm not saying Giannis, by the sure. way, wouldn't put up, he wouldn't be as, like Ben Simmons is, he'd be far superior. But if you put him on a team that does, lacks the spacing that Philadelphia does, I mean, we're talking a guy who needs the ball in his hands needs spacing and philadelphia is what one of the worst three-point shooting teams ben, in the league ben simmons is a complete complete minus in the half court okay i want to run through on some this team on this team on this on this team, team I, I agree with right? you on that but I'm and saying, some like, of that is some of that is system, sure and some of that is there's zero shooting i mean for an nba team it's 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 laughable the lack of shooting that philly has and they think that they can win a title this way maybe they maybe the defense the is so good well i that we'll get there, but I want to run through some things with, with Ben Simmons as a pick and roll ball handler, 0.42 points per play. That's ranks in the fourth percentile. And by the way, there are over 130 players that have that average more plays per game as a, as a pick and roll ball handler than Ben Simmons. That is outrageous. Given he's uh, what one of the four or five best passers in the league. That's that's on Brett Brown uh, as an isolation score. 0.78 points per per play. That's in the 29th percentile, less than one play per game. Post-ups. He's a 6'10 point guard, right? That guy that guy should be crushing dudes on mismatches. 0.64 points per play, 11th percentile. On just two per game, he's shooting 39% on post-ups. We talk about Ben Simmons as this unstoppable transition force. Right at one point per play. 37th percentile. If he was an A++++ transition player, this unstoppable wrecking ball, maybe you forgive some of the half-court stuff a little bit. He ranks 11th in the league in points in transition, the same as Fred Van Fleet. This is Ben Simmons we're talking about. As a cutter, 1.3 points per play in the 55th percentile. He's taken just nine spot-up shots the entire season. He doesn't even show up because he's not qualified uh, for either handoffs or as a role man in pick-and-roll. So, like, to your point, he's not, he's not been put into any situations by his coaching staff to take advantage of, of his immense ability. But there's also zero evidence to suggest that he can do anything well in the half court as a scorer. This zero. Is, this is where we started off the podcast with me saying that 
Brett Brown is holding Ben Simmons back. And you brought up the point where, uh, you know, James Harden and Giannis Atsukumpo both are thriving because of the system that they're in. James Harden doesn't become James Harden not playing under Mike D'Antoni. Mike D'Antoni elevated his game to levels we never saw coming. He was a great player, but he's now he he elevated to the MVP status. D'Antoni was the one who played Harden at point guard, which changed everything yep, for him. Changed absolutely everything. Giannis Antetokounmpo had the great MVP season that he tapped into last year because of Coach Bud. Coach Bud comes in and implements a, a, a set kind of uh, offensive set for him to be successful. They put shooters around him. They shoot a ton of threes, and it benefits Giannis Antetokounmpo. People talk about how Philadelphia don't have three-point shooters, and I heard you both say that. They're 11th in the league in terms of three-point percentage. Yeah, but look where they are on three-point attempts. That's not on Ben Simmons. That is on the system. You talk about you, When you talk about teams like the Clippers, the Lakers, and the Bucks. All three of those teams are expected to probably be in the finals. None of them, we never hear anything about them in terms of being a bad three-point shooting team. The Sixers have better three-point per shooting uh, percentages from three-point range than all three of those teams. And they take far less attempts. That's not on Ben Simmons. Granted, he can't shoot, so he does add to that a little bit. But you could play in a system where you're more up-tempo. You can play in a system where you're you're expected to shoot more threes like Josh Richardson should be taking more three-point attempts uh, uh, Al Horford should be taking more three-point attempts he's reluctant to shoot those and that's all it has to do with Brett Brown Brett Brown has them shooting under 33s in a game James Harden's taking 13 by himself put him in a situation where he's playing with guys that are that are going to be able to shoot and space the floor a little bit and maybe just maybe we won't it won't be a glaring weakness that he's standing out in a perimeter and can't do anything. Maybe he'll have the space to create inside the arc. It, it, it's not all on Ben Simmons. Granted, I, I, I do believe that he, some of it is on him. And, I, and I'm not saying the, that The only one stopping Ben Simmons from being a, a capable outside shooter is Ben Simmons. Is Ben Simmons. Yes, I agree. Some of it's on him. He has to, be, he has to find a way to at least be uh, you know, a competent shooter. I'm not expecting him to be J.J. Redick. But, I mean, at least look at the rim when you, when you have the ball in the perimeter. But... A lot of it, to me, is on Brett Brown. This system is not going to work. If they're shooting, you know, the league is at a point now where if you're not taking threes, you just aren't winning. That's Look at the last couple championships. You just don't even get to the finals if you're not taking threes. They're a great defensive team, and I think that has a lot to do with Brett Brown. But on the offensive side, they have not played to the potential, their skills that they have. Tobias Harris came into the team, sort of regressed. Jimmy Butler only really shined and broke through because he was the only closer, but they didn't find ways to make him relevant in a, in a, in a 48-minute game. He had to do that on his own and say, give me the ball, let me go one-on-one. That's it, They weren't making life easier for him you put jimmy butler on a team with two other all-stars he's not working as hard as he is on philadelphia no chance he had to do everything to get his own shot in that offense brett brown is a complete zero on the offensive end and this season it is glaring because the potential coach of the year is now in phoenix right now and he's not on brett brown's staff anymore and brett brown is being exposed and the reason why the philadelphia 76ers are not going to make the finals is not because they don't lack shooters it's because their offensive system would have been perfect for the NBA 10 years ago with two big men who could post up and potential, you know, towering power or a point guard who could post up as well. It, it's not going to work this year. But that's not all in Brett Brown, right? That's that's the front office as well who what? who picked these players and signed them to contracts. But it is on some of it is on Brett Brown, but you have to find a way to get the best out of your team. That's what the great coaches do. But here's the thing as well. 
you, you, you talked all about how Ben Simmons doesn't run pick and rolls, doesn't run isolations. I agree, he should be posting up more. But at the same time, like think about structurally what that looks like when he's on the court doing those things, right? Sure. If he runs a pick and roll with Joel Embiid, defenders are just going to drop because he's not a threat to pull up or anything. And then... They're Which probably, is his fault, They're the probably way. just going to throw two players at Ben Simmons if, if Joel Embiid pops because they're going to be comfortable with Joel Embiid shooting threes considering he's 32% from three this season, right? It's the same thing in post-ups. He, he plays about half of his minutes without Joel Embiid on the court, but at the same time when he's surrounded by guys like Al Hofford's a great shooter for his position, he's still only making 1.6 threes a game. He's not going to make six eight threes consistently in a game. He's not going to punish a team like that. He's that, not, but if, you, if, you, if you're willing to take those shots... And create and, and, and to me, they simply just have to play faster. Like, there's no reason why Philadelphia with Ben Simmons, if all if you're if you're asking your point guard and his best skill set is in transition, and I guess some of it's on him not pushing the tempo uh, on on some rebounds that he does get, but they're 18th in terms of pace. Why are they behind the Utah Jazz, who are known for half court? Why are they behind teams like the Chicago Bulls that are that are just uh, you know they don't have the 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 uh, I guess they do have wing talent like uh, like but they're only successful the only reason why Chicago's scoring you put them in half court they're embarrassing but yeah. the only reason why they're scoring is because they're getting up and down the floor why are you not putting your sit your your team in a situation to get up and down the floor and. I guess not a race, but at least hide some of those flaws that you don't have. If you want to say they're a bad three-point shooting team, okay, but it, get more layups. But even that, even that is a band-aid. Everyone knows that you know when, when come playoff time, the game slows down. You don't win playoff. You don't win NBA titles uh, by sprinting and getting out on the sure. open floor, right? Uh, so ultimately, it comes down to half-court offense, late-game execution, and a lot of that is. It's a, just a very it's a fundamentally flawed roster exacerbated by the inability of Ben Simmons to show even an inkling of getting better um, as a shooter. So far this season, the 76ers rank 28th in the league in fourth quarter offensive efficiency. The only teams worse than them in the fourth quarter on offense are the Charlotte Hornets and the New York Knicks, two teams that I don't think are going to be playing in the NBA Finals. So I just I I don't understand I don't understand how anyone can look at the the flaws of this team and then look at the state of the league and what wins games in today's NBA and can say with a straight face that this is a legitimate team that can win it all because they can't they don't have a single guy on this team that with the ball in their hands can go get a bucket they do wait they don't they do Joel Embiid's proved it he could he could do that. Uh, Tobias Harris can do that as well. Well, Joel Embiid is going to catch the ball at 25 feet from the basket. And I mean, he did it in a playoff game. 25% three-point shooter. He did it in a playoff game. He cranking. tied the series last year with Toronto on the road. It's one play. You asked me to tell you. asked me, to, is he capable of doing it? I'm telling night you that in, he is. And he's given you the opportunity. to. He's, he's done it at the highest level. That's a playoff game. So we're going to point to three games that Pascal Siakam has the not done it? The question was, oh, no, no, no. No, is no, no, anyone no. capable? I'm saying Joel Embiid is capable. Tobias Harris, they're, they're capable guys. You're acting like these guys cannot just become non-existent in the clutch. Where's a where's one playmaking guard that can create a, a shot off the bounce? That's on a this different team question that you're asking me. You're asking me who can get their shot. I gave you two guys that could get their shot, and they proved it's it. a fundamentally flawed team that cannot win as currently constructed. No doubt, but they're limiting their ceiling because of Brett Brown. He's not done anything created offensively to get them to a position where you can max out and then say to yourself. All right, we've done everything we possibly can. Now let's start looking at maybe we do have to break up Ben Simmons and Joel and B together. I agree with that. That's all. All right, let's talk about All Star. 
<laughs> we, we have some time to talk about All-Star. Uh, <laughs> do, do we? <laughs> yeah, we have a little bit of time. Um, the Western Conference All-Star race is, uh, we were talking about it off air yesterday, and it, it got interesting when you name all the players that could potentially make it or potentially get quote-unquote snubbed. We laughed this morning, jokingly, that Carmelo Anthony probably has a good chance of making the All-Star oh team over not, CJ let's McCollum. Start there. Let's start there. Why not? Let's start there. Uh, but all jokes aside, CJ McCollum has been balling. His team doesn't have the record that would allow him allow them to get a second All-Star. We're assuming that Dame Lillard, who's having an incredible year, by the way, he's going to get there. Then when you look at the rest of the Western Conference, you're going to be hard-pressed to find two people with the same opinion on who should be on the team. Get past the first, the first five, the starters, right? You know, LeBron, Kawhi. Well, we were talking about locks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so go go with go, look, go with your locks. I, I think there's no doubt that James Harden, Luka right. Doncic, LeBron James, right. Anthony Davis, and Colin Anthony Towns will make it. To me, those are the the right now the five who will start in the All Star game. And by the way, we now have positions opened up. There's no Clay Thompson this year. There's no Kevin yep. Durant. There's no Steph Curry. There's no Draymond Green. So there's four spots that are open. I think we can agree that Dame is on there. Right. And I think we can agree that Kawhi's on there, right? And Anthony yeah, Davis was not an All-Star Anthony Davis as well, yes. Yeah, I mentioned him in the, the five. Yeah, so that, he, he that, that puts us at seven. So there's five spots up for grabs. Um, so I, what's your criteria then for picking All-Star? Because it, it, do you go to record first and then say to yourself, two guys are allowed? Like, how, how would you pick the 12 that are going to make the Western Conference All-Stars? Um, well, well, my other two that I had as locks right now is Devin Booker. Um, the Suns are, as I, a lock. Yeah, I mean the Suns are the eighth seed in the West. He's having a great season. Um, I, I think he's a pretty safe pick for there. Uh, Rudy Gobert is another name that comes to mind. The Jazz are sixth seed in the West. Um, he's a defense onto himself. I have Gobert as a lock. Yeah. I think all the attention that uh, that he got last year for not making it, and some of the flack that that I think coaches rightfully got. Uh, you know valuing both sides of the ball and then we're not going to let the two-time uh reigning defensive player of the year make the all-star i I think there's not a world in which rudy gobert uh does not make the all-star team i agree with that and less about last year's stuff more about the fact that there's no big men in the western conference other than anthony davis Jokic is gonna make it Jokic is gonna make it but he's not having a better season than gobert no he's not they're both gonna make it yeah i mean Jokic, gobert towns and anthony davis are there's not a war, there's all four no, of them are lost. Yeah, and then there's no real con- like Stephen Adams is not in the conversation. So I think I think you're I agree with you, but I, yeah, and and Donovan Mitchell doesn't make it to me. So that that's nine. We we mentioned nine, ten with Devin Booker. I don't. You guys seem to have some pushback on that. I, I, I think he has a very good chance of making it. I think he has a chance of making it. I just don't say that he's a lock. I mean, there's you know, there's. It, I think it depends on how you look at it. Like like right now, I think he would make it. if we're projecting you know several months time. Like maybe he's not, but I, I think right now he's a pretty safe. Okay, so let's it. put the caveat. It's right now we're talking about. Okay, so that's ten. That leaves two spots up. I think based on how he's playing right now and his popularity, I think Paul George is going to make it. Sure. I think he's. I have Paul George as a lock. I had him as one of my. I have ten locks in the West. Um, so who are we missing that you have as a lock that we haven't named yet? Well, everyone. Everyone that's named because I have Jokic. I have, I have Neither Jokic of you have mentioned Luka Doncic. Where do you sit on that? No, well, I no, we mentioned him at the top. I yeah, he's at the top. top. Okay. I, I think he's a he's no a, brand. He's yeah, going to start. He's going to start. He's going to start? Yeah. yeah so then what's the starting start. line? The starting line, uh, I said James Harden and Luka, the two guards, LeBron, Anthony Davis, Carl Anthony Towns. Although I will say, I asked Mike a question before this, which I think is funny. Luka's a guard. I think he was on the forward as a ballot la- on the ballot last year. He's a, gu- he's a point guard on that team. James Harden is a guard. I hate this argument. 
LeBron James is. This is funny. LeBron James is basically also a god, right? I hate this Let's argument. say the three of them are gods on the ballot. Who? Which one of those three? We is just not talked stopping? twenty-five minutes about James Harden being disrespected. I'm not even going. I'm not even entertaining <laughs> the notion because I think that's the answer. I think if LeBron, Luca, and Harden are all gods, I think James Harden doesn't stop. Yeah, but they're they're not. So. Come on, knock it off. You honestly think that? I don't know. When we think of like popularity vote and everything like that, no, I'm not. I, look, when we think of popularity and everything, I think Luca and LeBron would make it start on that team over James Harden. All right, let's All not. Okay. Anyway, okay, let's not talk we, about hypotheticals. We, let's talk about who could actually make the All Star team. We've, so. named, we've named eleven players, right? And I think that Mike, you can add to this if you want. I think they're the you know. Montrez Harrell on the Clippers, Lou Williams on the Clippers. This is the conversation I want to get to. Yeah, those are two other candidates. And then we've also got, you know, Donovan Mitchell, Brandon Ingram, and then maybe, you know, even some. I like got three other names for you Go as for well. Um, I think Brandon Ingram has to be mentioned. You can delete that name. I think Buddy Heald, if the Kings keep doing this and come back, has to be mentioned. He's I'll listen to the Buddy with De'Aaron Fox being Absolutely. hurt, with the Kings started 0-5. They're coming back. If that team is 500. But uh, by the time bouts, I think Buddy on. Hill has to be there. Brandon Ingram, are you kidding me? And I got, I got, well, I got two more names for, Go for you. It. Actually, I actually, I actually don't think it's outrageous to have a, a should Andrew Wiggins make the All Star team conversation. Let's go. Yes. Let's talk about it. And I, 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 I do think you know the way they're playing right now. If the Spurs continue, they're not going to get one. If if San Antonio pulls a San Antonio and fixes their season, you can't. You can't just discount Aldridge and DeRozan, but right now they're 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 cast aside. But I don't think that they're they're completely out of the conversation. Every single team, every single team that is in the Western Conference, you've named uh, you've named an All Star off of every single team except for two: the Warriors for obvious reasons, and the Thunder. Yeah, what? I mean, who who, who, do, who do we give on the? Th- I mean, they're the Thunder not could, making the All Star team, but, Chris Paul's but not why not? The All-Star team. Why not? If they're if they're in He's the spot if they're in the spot that either Phoenix or uh, Minnesota is around time the All Star voting opens up, which is I believe around Christmas, um, why why are we just discounting them right away? And you have the gall to put in Brandon Ingram, yeah, because averaging twenty five points a game, but on a losing team, you, you they're act getting like, crushed. You act like they're two and fifteen. They may not win twenty games this year. And he's in the All Star conversation. Yeah, he's in the All Star conversation. I would, I would have. If you're going to open up to Brandon Ingram, I'm definitely having Chris Paul and Shea Gilgis Alexander in that conversation as well. Because I can't believe that we're going to have a They've guy. They've won two more games than than the Pelicans. But they're trending. They're not on a seven game losing streak as we record right now. They haven't lost. They <laughs> they haven't lost through uh, seven. I'm not saying 10. I would put him in. I'm just saying he's part of the conversation. Well, I'm, all I'm saying is if he's in the conversation, then Chris Paul and Shea Gilders Alexander's definitely okay, in the conversation. Fine. Sure, everyone's a winner here. It's a YMCA All-Stars. Well, well, hey, if Brandon Ingram's in there, why not Gallinari? <laughs> Lou Williams or Montrezl Harrell if the okay. Clippers get a third. Uh, I, I, say more... I say Lou. I say Lou Williams. Not not any discount off of what Montrez is doing. I, th- I say Lou Williams, and I actually think that Lou Williams is a little bit more deserving than either. If you're going to take two Clippers, I don't think you just automatically assume that it's going to be Kawhi and Paul George. And I know they're both going to get in because of the votes and whatever else. But if we just did it as just this season, not Lifetime Achievement Award, I think Lou Williams has been more important to the Clippers so far this year than Kawhi and Paul George. Both of them have missed time. Kawhi sits out all the time. Uh, Paul George wasn't there to start the season. Lou Williams has been consistently good throughout the year. 
See, I think I go with Trez over Lou Will, but I also think that Kawhi and Paul George are going to make that team, so I don't think the Clippers are going to get a third player. I, 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 I agree. Be. They're going to make the team, but I'm saying if we if we did All-Star properly, in my opinion, which is just look at this season and not – if we, if it was All-Star was a blind resume, so to speak. You're not talking about what's happened in the past. We don't look at Kawhi as the best player in the league. Montrezl Harrell and Lou Williams, to me, actually, probably both deserve the All-Star nod over – Kawhi and Paul George for what they're doing with the Clippers. I mean, Kawhi's averaging 25, 8, and 5, and Paul George is averaging 24, 6, and 4. I, it's not like they're having bad seasons at all. I, I still think that the both, they, I think they both had better seasons than Lou Will. Obviously, the game's missed. Like, Paul George has played 11. Lou Williams has played twice that amount. Um, would factor in it if we did it today. I mean, I just, I still think the, the, this team's built around those two players. So, 538 has uh, a all-encompassing stat that they rolled out this season called Raptor takes mm-hmm. into account play-by-play and box score and player tracking. And look, it's not perfect. No catch-all number ever is. Do you know where they have Montrezl Harrell ranked this season I'll as players five. in the NBA? Six. The top six are James Harden, Giannis, LeBron, Luka Doncic, Jimmy Butler, and then Montrezl Harrell. It's pretty impressive. So and I just – <laughs> I'm not saying that. Um, I, I I do think that that you're right. It would be Lou Will. Yeah. And and I do think, like you said, if you were to do the blind resume and say, okay, other than Kawhi, who's the second Clippers All Star, it's probably Lou Will. Mm-hmm. But I think Trez is a name that, like, if the Clippers had the Lakers record, yeah, I, we'd be talking about the Clippers getting four All Stars, and I think both Trez and Lou Will would be there. I agree. I, I absolutely agree with that. Uh, let's talk to the, talk about the Eastern Conference because it's a little bit more, uh, I guess, controversial, if we can use that word, because there's so many good players that are putting up big numbers, but their records are awful. Like when you look at the bottom half of that Eastern Conference, I killed you for putting in Brandon Ingram. but I didn't put a, him in. I, I just know you're him. in the conversation. Sorry. You mentioned Brandon Ingram. Thank I you. killed you for doing that. Uh, we're going to have to mention some guys that are you know have like five wins right now uh, at the time of recording. I got eight locks. Go for it. In the East. Giannis, Siakam, Embiid, Kemba, Jimmy Butler, yep. Kyrie Irving, yep. Bradley Beal, yep. and Chris Middleton. You have no disagreement on my end with those eight guys. Who do you have, Scott? Same eight? Nope. I have uh, These six. are locks, by the way. I have six of the same. So I have Kemba, Jimmy Butler, Giannis, Siakam, Embiid, Bradley Beal. I think Trey Young is in there. As um, a lock? Dude's averaging thirty and ten basically. They have five wins. But as you said, they're one so and nine in their last ten. So so Bradley Beal gets it then. They've won what a couple more games. Bradley Beal has been consistently good f- for a very long time. But you just said you it just said. Be what are we doing now? <laughs> <laughs> you picking your arguments, huh? I am picking my arguments. Um, but see, that's I, I why do, it's tough in the Eastern Conference though, because tough. there's no, so no, many no. bad teams with with players. So like here's I something said, that interesting. I, I think for for Trey Young. So in NBA history. Entering the season, there's been 139 instances of a player averaging at least 28 points per game. Only five times did that player not make the All-Star team. Hasn't happened since Purvis Short in the 1980s. The the closest comparison here Mm -hmm. is uh, Tiny Archibald, as a 23-year-old, averaged 28 points and nine assists per game and and did not make the All-Star team on a 30-52 and Cincinnati Royals team. So, So... so there is precedent for someone to do what Trey Young is doing right now and not make it. And not make it. See, my thing is with the Trey Young thing. I, I 
I agree. Him and Bradley Beal should be in the same sort of conversation. I just don't think the Trey Young should be a lock. You you asked me who I think is going to make it. That, I know. I'm asking. I'm asking um, for a lock is is a lot. Well, I got another name to throw at you, and I said at the top, Devontae Graham. As a lock? No, no, no. no. I'm saying I'm saying he he could legit make the All Star team in the East this okay, season. Good. What's the argument? He's a top twenty in the NBA in points scored, total points scored this season. Behind only James Harden and threes made, and he's behind only LeBron and Luca in total assists. And this Hornets team has been far more competitive. I think they're the, I think you have the standings pulled up, right, Colin? I do. Can you correct? The ninth in the East right now. Yeah, they are. Um, obviously, they have a losing record. Um, but the fact that this Hornets team has been competitive as they have after losing Kemba, um, a big reason for it is Devontae Graham and the things that he's been doing. It's funny. Um, he's, he's in the conversation. It's funny, too, because he's actually been coming off the bench a lot for them. I mean... They made the switch, uh, rightfully yeah. so. But I, I don't think it's outrageous to talk about him, but I do think it's outrageous to mention him before the likes of Bam Adebayo. Right. Uh, I, I actually had him as a lock. I didn't finish my locks, but yeah, yeah I had him. That's Bam Adebayo. I thought, that's why yeah. I thought I lost my mind when you said Devontae Grant. No, I, no, no, I knew you weren't done. Jason Tatum has to be talked about. Yes. Before Devontae Graham. Absolutely. Malcolm Brogdon has to be talked about. Absolutely. And Fred Van Fleet. Absolutely. Because, you know, if Toronto is going to have this, you know, top three, top four record on pace to finish in the mid-50s, they got to get more than one. Well, they don't have to, but you would think that, um, that you know, Fred Van Fleet's right there and probably more deserving of it than Kyle Lowry if, if you were to pick a second Raptor. So it's, I think each of those guys, in addition, I, I don't know if I said Jalen Brown, but Jalen Brown uh, deserves a lot of love. And look, like, I mean, I, I just spent some time uh, talking smack about Ben Simmons, but I think it's, you can't talk about all-stars in the East, especially with the, um, you know, the lack of really intriguing options and not mention the likes of, of either Ben Simmons or Tobias Harris. And I think mm-hmm. if Philly gets a second, it should probably be Tobias Harris and not Simmons, but. What do you, what do you do with this, with the Celtics? Celtics have four. Okay, Kemba's. We, we all agree Kemba's probably starting in the All Star. He's game. a lot to start. And then you have if Gordon Hayward comes back from this injury and is as, is as good as he was before he got hurt. You have Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum has quietly been really good on both ends of the floor. To me, it's Tatum that gets the second spot. But do you give him a third? It would be it would be Brown. I think I, Hayward's missed too much time. No, Tatum oh, okay. is the second guy. Okay. Um, you know, Do you agree with the second guy, Scott? Yeah, I think I'd go with Tatum as well. Okay. It's, just, it's just tough beyond that. I don't think it's so hard to to have three players from one team, um, especially when you look at, like you said, Gordon Hayward probably would have had it to the point he got injured, and then Brown has really stepped up since then. So how do you factor that in and everything? So I just think ultimately you'd have the maximum of two from that team. If Hayward doesn't get hurt, is it still Tatum as a second guy? I think it's Hayward. I actually think Gordon Hayward was their best player before he went down. I, I think that... Uh, Gordon Hayward all around was doing more for that team than anyone else. Um, but, you know, when you miss five weeks, you, mm-hmm. you just, they didn't skip a beat without him. So um, I don't think Gordon Hayward really has a shot now. But uh, that's not to say he wasn't playing an all star level because I think he was just as good as he was in, in 2016 17 with the Jazz prior to going down. But uh, I, yeah, I would have gone Hayward, uh, Kemba, Tatum, Brown in that order. Tired of the injury. Can I throw out five more names for you guys? Five more. <laughs> I go five. Oh. I go five I was, more. I think I w- before you throw out those names, because I think one of them might be in this list. I want to throw this one choice at you guys. Have to pick one: Nikola Vucevic or Spencer Dinwiddie. Who gets the All Star nod? Spencer Dinwiddie. 
Easy, Spencer Dinwiddie. Okay. Is he on your list? Um, I do have him on my list, but he's actually sorry. No, he, I didn't. I thought about him earlier. I didn't have him on my list here. Blast um, <laughs> My he might be the injury replacement for for Kyrie. By the way, if he continues to miss time, and that would be that. That's the. I love what Spencer Dinwiddie's doing. That's the only way he should make the All Star team. If Kyrie is named, can't go. They need a replacement. That just slot Spencer in and send him. All right, I got five more names for you guys. Andre Drummond. Mm, Keep going. Not a lock. Ben Simmons. Uh, you know well, where we, I stand. We, we, yeah. Uh, Demantis Sabonis. Um, I brought his name up to you, Mike, off air beforehand. All right. So he, he, that's an interesting one because it is Brogdon. They're only going to get one. They are. So Brogdon or Sabonis. Who do you have? I, I have Brogdon. I do think Sabonis has played well enough to this point of the season to warrant mention, though. Eighteen and thirteen is pretty ridiculous. It I is. didn't realize he was averaging thirteen. First time starter, too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's I, been great. I, I do think I like think narrative. Probably. We all we always talk about narrative with awards voting. I think narrative carries just as much weight sometimes with all star selections as well. And I think just given how Malcolm, especially because Malcolm Brogdon is essentially playing the same role as Victor Oladipo mm-hmm. while Depot has been out, I think it would be really hard to. You can't give them two. Yeah, and I it would be next. Team. It would be really hard to not have that one be Brogdon. Yeah, I agree with that. So uh, no, no debate there. All so. right, my my last two names: uh, Zach Levine. I'm not talking about the Bulls today. I'm what in a good that? mood. It's Friday. <laughs> we got a beautiful weekend coming up here in Charlotte. I'm not talking about his Zach numbers. Right now. His numbers are all star. Like again, blind resume. His numbers are all star caliber. You look at the team. I, I mean, mean, they've been the most probably the most disappointing team this in season, my right? Opinion, hell, so, yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. My last one, I know both of you are going to say no to this. Jonathan Isaac. Oh, God, no. Stop. Knock it off. One of the best defenders in the league. Stop it. He's not even the best player in the Magic. Matisse Thibel is one of the best defenders in the league. That doesn't mean he should make the all-star team. What are you doing? (laughs) Jonathan Isaac? You guys are sleeping on Jonathan Isaac. Go sit in timeout. And the season that he's having. All I'm saying. (laughs) If the Magic get an all-star, who do you think it is? Is it Vucevic? Uh, The guy guy I just mentioned. You think it's Jonathan Isaac over Vucevic? I mean, Vucevic could miss... um, enough time to, to kind of take him out of that, that Fair conversation. Enough. But if he comes back with enough of a resume. I like Jonathan Isaac. He's not an all-star. He's not an Stop. All-star. Knock it off. All right. Uh, let's wrap it up here. Um, the Eastern Conference, I, I think we're, we're, we're – it's very early on. I'll say that before I ask you guys this question. But for one to six, I really think that it's very close, and the seeding is going to matter so much. I think the Bucks are the best team in the Eastern Conference. Uh, sorry, record-wise, they're going to be the best. They're going to have the best record. So we'll remove them. But from two to six, where do you see the East ending up? I think Boston's going to finish second. I think they're just they're they're about to get Gordon Hayward back. Mm-hmm. Um, man, that that three through six is. I, we keep waiting Tough. for Philly. I I honestly don't think that the the ordering of three to six in terms of first round matchups. Matters a whole lot, but there's definitely some rock, paper, scissors stuff going on with Milwaukee. Like, if you're the Bucks, right? Like, you would much rather have probably like the Pacers right. and. Who are you avoiding if you're the Bucks? I think the Raptors. Okay. I, I don't know. I, I think that the, the Raptors, uh, the Raptors have just have so much depth. Uh, they've been there before. I, Philly is just such a weird team. Uh, defensively, they have the most to throw at Giannis. So I, I think conventional wisdom says Milwaukee wouldn't want to play Philly because they wouldn't want to see Horford and Embiid. But um, I, I think if, if you're them, you're hoping probably that Miami and Indiana finish 4-5. There's, there's going to be some ugly 
first and second round series. Be like nineteen nineties basketball, baby. Like you think like Bucks, Sixes, Raptors, Heat. Like these teams just grind it out. Um, defensive minded teams. Like it, it could be. It could be. It'll, it'll be fun. It's just those could be some uh, pretty ugly series. You didn't answer the question. What was the question? Which <laughs> what's my what's my six in the the Assuming East? Assuming the Bucks are going to be the first seed. Okay. What's the order after that? Um. I, I honestly the way that it's it is right now um kind of makes sense to me so that's Celtics two, Heat three, Raptors four, Seventy Sixers five, Pacers six. Um, the the Heat and the Pacers are the biggest wild cards, right? Yeah. Because the the Heat, I mean, they have another move to make, and they have the they have the ability to radically transform their team in a way that. Really, none of these other teams do. And then Indiana doesn't even have their best player back yet. I mean, Boston can make a move, right? They can. They can. I don't know. If it's not as obvious. But it's they, not going to fundamentally change their identity. I mean, if, if they, they get, get a big a, man. If they get a center. Yeah, yeah. they get a big man. It's right, but, it, but that center comes in. He's not the second best player on the team. No, you're if right. They, right? They like a, that, that, sure, that's what I mean by sure. fundamentally. Like they, added, they might add a, a center that's a starter, but he's probably their fifth or sixth best player. Like Miami could go get somebody that immediately steps in as a team's say name chris paul okay right i mean that's that's the elephant in the room yeah i agree at the same time we saw with the raptors last season like they were a great team obviously until the trade deadline but they made that trade for mark soul who's i mean do you want to say he's the fourth of his fifth best player on that team last year in the championship run um so again like even if If i'll go as far as say they don't they don't get they don't they don't don't even get past philly um so it's, going back to Boston, it's like even though they might not get the sexier name at the trade deadline, I don't know if they can get a Tristan Thompson, but someone like that who can kind of you know start in that group and and clean up the the little things. That's fine. Um, that that can make a big difference. To that We're team. a week away from actually trade season kind of opening and kicking off. Uh, to answer the question, I think the Heat are actually going to finish with the second best record in the Eastern Conference, uh, and then the Raptors, Sixers. Uh, and Celtics are just going to beat each other up. They got to play each other. They haven't played each other in the division. Like they've each played each other, I think once. Yeah, yeah. Um, not, the Raptors have the 76ers this, uh, on Sunday this, this weekend. Yeah, yeah. but a- after that, like they they, they got to play each other, and those games are going to matter. Those games are going to matter. I know you hate me talking about the. I want to give you two. I do. I do. I hate it. I want to <laughs> give you two more names to think about, and just let them marinate over the weekend before okay. we get off here. Okay. You asked for one name for Miami. I said Chris Paul. I think that's the. That's the one that everyone everyone yeah. kind of does. Two more. Kevin Love, who everyone knows is is available for the right price. Mm-hmm. One name that's not publicly available, but might make a lot of sense in Miami. And who knows if a team decides, you know what? I think we're good. Russell Westbrook. Mm. What if Pat Riley decides, you know what? Let's go. Wasn't that, a ru- that a wasn't that a rumor originally? It, it before, was before. Yeah, it was one of the destinations that he he was open to going to. Does he have a no trade? No, no, he doesn't have a no trade. No, he just has a terrible contract. <laughs> it's a terrible contract. <laughs> <laughs> They're gonna have to take on a bad contract to get either Chris Paul, or Russell Westbrook, I mean, or Kevin Love. Let's face it, Kevin Love's contract's not pretty either. I, I don't. I mean, the the Heat have. Um, some pretty big salaries that they can piece together, and I'm pretty sure a lot of them are on expiring contracts. James Johnson, one of them. James Johnson um, has a player option for next season. Dragic's making just under 20 million Kelly this Olympics year. He's on he's on an expiring too. contract, um, so they can piece together an interesting package to a team like Houston if they were, you know, this isn't working out. Let's get some players who can maybe make a difference this season, but clear all that space off the book so we can do something. Um, in the summer, although in saying that, the the free agency list this summer. Yeah, is I mean, not exactly, the, yeah. and and the the one thing with Westbrook as well is is it it takes Miami 
a little bit out of 2021, but I don't know. Pat Riley is is not gun shy for making uh, massive big plays. We know Daryl Morey won't hesitate mm-hmm. uh, to pull a big trigger. I don't know. I just think that that's one to just let it let it simmer for another two months or so. Uh, but come trade deadline, I think Chris Paul is not the only big name that that makes sense in Miami, and and Kevin Love would be a really good fit there as well. He, yeah, he would be. Um, just to circle back on that, the Heat can make up about six, just around sixty million dollars in salary just from Goran Dragic, James Johnson, Dion Waiters, and Kelly Olynyk. Um, even more than that with Myers Leonard, who's eleven. So that they can easily get a big contract player without having to par away with with something you know too too big in the big scheme of things fair enough that, this is uh, speaking of big this was a big podcast we went over an hour on this one but if you made it to the end we appreciate you you can follow all our work on NBA.com for Mike Adams Scott Rafferty I'm Carly Lewis. see you next time right here on NBA Sound System <laughs>